Turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to focus this morning on... Okay, thank you. On verses... <laughs> thank you. What am I going to do after he leaves? Staff. <laughs> Hopefully he'll have the same freedom to do something like that. Verse 19 and 20 uh, in our text this morning. Can you imagine being that shepherd or shepherds? They could have been undoubtedly very young, often in that place. And certainly in that time, it was the young men, boys even, that would have had shepherding tasks being out there. And just in that time, the visual of an angel and the scriptural account, usually it's associated with fear, trembling to the point of passing out. Terrifying scene. And that's why the angel says, first off, fear not. They were trembling. For I bring today good news. And as he talks about this babe that you're going to find wrapped in swine clothes, lying in a manger, it's, it's as if the angels were watching this scene, and as they are pronouncing God coming as a baby, you, you get the sense that one angel wasn't enough. And then the angels that were watching the scene all join in at that moment because this is news that they cannot withhold. They simply say, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. For a Savior has been born this day. Peace. How does that happen? Because you could say, as you look historically, how does that peace realized? It's certainly not realized among men since Jesus has come. There have been wars at every moment throughout history as we look back. How is this peace realized? What, Jesus, what is announced by the angels, Scripture comes back in Colossians chapter 1 and gives us the fuller picture. How is this happening? And so in this what's thought to be a hymn of the early church, we get a little bit more about who this Christ is. And we're lifting up Christ from the Mass. And so, if you will read with me, beginning with verse 15 and ending with verse 20. If you'll stand as we read this together. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. 
and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You may be seated. So up to this point, we've learned that we lift Christ from the mass, for he is the invisible God made visible. We've learned that we lift Christ from the mass, for he is the inheritor of all creation. We lift Christ from the mass, for he is the beginning and end of all things. We've learned as we keep on reading through this text that we lift Christ from the Mass because He was here before the Mass. We lift Christ from the Mass because He upholds the Mass. We lift Christ from the Mass because He is the source of a whole new Mass altogether. And then, as we keep on, we're going to learn this morning that we lift Christ from the Mass for He is completely God in the midst of of the mass. We see that as we read verse 19. The text says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The word fullness is totality. The totality of who God is is given in Jesus. Now, I want us to clarify a few things. This is not a human that was elevated to deity. You see that in other religions. This such a stellar example of a human now has been elevated to be God. That is not at all what is happening. This is not a form of reincarnation of which Jesus is the greatest example. This is initiated by God. Notice it says God was pleased to let the fullness of himself dwell in Jesus. And so it starts with God the Father. It does not rise up for man, but starts from God the Father to let the fullness, the totality of who God is, be in Jesus. Important distinction. Here is another important distinction. Jesus is not half God and half man. He is not Her- Hercules. Alright? We need to understand the distinction that separates this from all other religions. We don't have another example of this where Jesus is not half God. He is Fully God. The totality of who God is, what makes God God, is in Jesus. And yet at the same time, he's fully man. Now if you ask me to explain that, I will, I will not be able to. All I can tell you is what scripture teaches, and it's very important to know what it's taught, that he is fully God and fully man, not a half God, half man being. So God is the one initiating the deliverance through Jesus Christ, and his method is the incarnation, God becoming flesh. In the Old Testament, God chooses a place, the temple, a building, to reveal himself and to make his glory known. In the New Testament, he goes away from buildings and he chooses a person, Jesus Christ. And that is why... We need to be very careful what we teach our children about this being God's building. It's not biblical. God's building is in the Old Testament. It was a temple. God uses a person, Jesus Christ. Now what makes this special 
is that Jesus Christ, by his spirit, is in his people. And the people have set aside this room to worship. Okay? God didn't declare it holy. Mankind declared it holy. We've set it apart for a purpose. Alright? So you need to understand, biblically, what we're, uh, what we're operating with. That this is God working through a person. And God is working... If you are in Christ, if you have been united with Jesus Christ by faith and by grace, then you're in him and God can work through you. Now, uh, a few weeks ago, we celebrated uh, my son's birthday party, uh, birthday by going to Chuck E. Cheese. All right. One of the things parents have to go through, um, it's like childbirth. No, maybe not. But it is a trial. It is a trial, all right? So we did that. So when I think go to Chuck E. Cheese, it's really only one thing I want to do outside of getting out alive and keeping my children alive. And that is this little machine that's really pretty neat where they give you a sketch. Put a couple of tokens in, and they make this little sketch. They, they, they do a, a picture, and it comes out. And it's amazing how good it looks. So this is pretty, it's just, if you get past the fact that it says Chuck E. Cheese written on it, it looks pretty neat. And so I always want to get one of those done. I think it's amazing how good we look when we're sketched. You know, when it's just black and white, you don't really put in all the features. You know, it, it just, just gives you the outline. It's like, man, that looks good. Well, listen, what you have in Jesus Christ is not a sketch. It is God in color. And the fullness of who he is, it's God in the flesh. And so you need to understand that we're, we're not looking at some weird dimension of God. It is the fullness of who God is in Jesus Christ. It's not a, a sketch work. It's complete. And that's the idea of the word, the fullness of God, the totality of God was pleased to dwell. So listen, we're going to lift up God from the mass, from the people, from objects, from creation, from good things, bad things. And we're going to say, you know, God is in Jesus, therefore he is to be preeminent, not prominent, but preeminent, not just popular, but one over all. He is God. And so when it comes time to Christmas, you know, Santa Claus is good and nice and a lot of fun, but let me just share a personal conviction The church's job is to declare truth. And the truth is, Jesus is preeminent. Our children will learn myths and fairy tales from many sources and many places. But let it not be from the church. Don't let them be confused about what church teaches. We present Jesus Christ. That's just a, a personal conviction, but I think I've got some good scriptural support for that. Of what the church is about. And so, you know, we enjoy Santa Claus. We have fun with them. But when it comes time to church, Jesus. Jesus. Why? He's God. (laughs) Very simple. He's God. And we're going to lift high Christ from the Mass. We'll play games. But underneath it all, Jesus is God. And we're going to lift Him high because it's the fullness of who God is. Now, Verse 20. This is one that I really, I really love. Verse 20. And through him, through, through Christ, 
to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. So uh, Jesus is preeminent because he is God. And not only is he God, but as God, he is reconciling everything. Everything. Now, what's implied when you say that something needs to be reconciled? Well, something's broken. Do you realize everything's broken? If he is reconciling everything, then everything is broken for him to have to reconcile it. And so, listen, we lift up Christ, secondly, from the Mass, because he fixes the Mass. He fixes the Mass. The substance of all that is around us is broken. Now, it's beautiful. It is good. And there are things that that speak to us of the Lord. But when sin came in, it broke everything. Creation itself works against mankind. Now, I love the fact that it's present tense. Through him to reconcile himself all things. Now, this is happening, whether on earth or in in heaven. So, there's two ideas of reconciliation. There's personal reconciliation and universal. What God is doing across the board. So, this includes creation, animals, humanity, spiritual beings. Spiritual beings are broken. Angels are broken. The, the Bible says a couple passages in Isaiah 14, 12, as well as Ezekiel 28, gives us some hints of happened in the spiritual realm of, of Lucifer, who thought that he was as worthy to be worshipped. And there are many that followed in his place. Uh, and so there was rebellion against God. That's where we get the idea of demons. Uh, it comes from this. So there are spiritual powers that are broken. But Jesus is still Lord over all these things. And there is a day when these angelic beings, these demons, will be reconciled to God. And so you're asked saying, well, pastor, does that mean that they will be redeemed? No. Reconciliation happens not just by mercy, but also happens by judgment. What needs to be reconciled? When God created the world, he created it for himself to reflect himself. But when mankind came and sinned, they said, God is, is no longer the sinner. Man is the sinner. And so it broke. It broke. So how does it get reconciled? When everything in your life is centered back on God. That's going to happen by mercy and forgiveness. And it can also happen by judgment. The Bible says there will be a day and time when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, including angelic beatings, including demons. And so when Mark 5, Jesus comes across the demoniac, the, the spiritual power is restless and fearful that, uh, that this is going to be the time of judgment. And so says to Jesus, please, not yet. It's not yet time, which implies that there will be a time when angelic beings will be restored, will be Brought back, not in mercy, but in judgment, to say that God is Lord. So he's working to reconcile him in himself all things. Now, what does this look like? First of all, the personal reconciliation. Uh, we've been reading a book, and I would recommend this, especially if you have young children. If you don't, I'd still recommend it. It's a good book. Uh, it's called The Jesus Storybook Bible. Uh, written by Sally Lloyd-Jones. I've made mention of this in the past. Uh, so it's just a children's book telling the stories that point and, and talking about how they point to Jesus. We've been using this book uh, to have as our Advent readings, uh, pointing to Jesus Christ. Uh, and so I was reading what they had to say about Isaiah. And this is uh, a, a lady's perspective, her paraphrase of the book of Isaiah. Listen to this. This is a letter uh, that... 
she, she puts it. Dear little flock, you're all wandering away from me like sheep in an open field. You have always been running away from me, and now you're lost. You cannot find your way back. But I can't stop loving you. I will come to find you. And so I'm sending you a shepherd to look after you and love you, to carry you home to me. You've been stumbling around like people in a dark room. But into the darkness, a bright light will shine. It will chase away all the shadows like sunshine. A little baby will be born, a royal son. His mommy will be a young girl who doesn't have a husband. His name will be called Emmanuel, which means God has come to live with us. And he is one of King David's children's children's children, the Prince of Peace. Yes, someone is going to come and rescue you. But he won't be who anyone expects. He will be a king. But he won't live in a palace. And he won't have lots of money. He will be poor. And he will be a servant. But this king will heal the whole world. He will be a hero. He will fight for his people and rescue them from their enemies. But he won't have big armies and he won't fight with swords. He will make the blind see. He will make the lame leap like deer. He will make everything the way it was always meant to be. But people will hate him. They won't listen to him. He will be like a lamb. He will suffer and die. It's the secret rescue plan we've made from before the beginning of the world. It is the only way to get you back. But he won't stay dead. I will make him alive again. And one day when he comes back to rule forever, the mountains and the trees will dance and sing for joy. The earth will shout out loud. His fame will fill the whole earth as the water covers the sea. Everything sad will come untrue. Even death is going to die. He will wipe away every tear from every eye. Yes, the rescuers will come. Look for him. Watch for him. Wait for him. He will come. I promise. Everything sad comes untrue. Do you know when Jesus was healing people? Have you ever thought, you know, it would be kind of a bummer if I was sick and I lived in the time of Jesus and so-and-so got well, but I didn't. Jesus didn't heal every blind person, did he? He didn't cast out every demon. I often thought about the fact that when Jesus is in that, that cemetery with Lazarus, and he said, Lazarus, come on out after he's been dead three days and Lazarus comes out. I wondered, is there anyone in the crowd watching that that has a relative in that same cemetery? Are they upset because Jesus didn't call out their brother's name, their husband's name? Why is it that Jesus did not heal every person? He doesn't heal every person today, does he? When Jesus was healing someone, it was a foretaste. One day, every sad thing will become untrue. Every disease will be healed. Every tear will be wiped away. Every tomb will be emptied. Every disease will be stopped. Every hemorrhaging blood will be stopped. It's going to happen. So when you read the Gospels, And you read of these miracles, it's saying, there's more to come. There's more to come. This is just 
the beginning. And so when, when the angels say, a Savior will come and will bring peace among men, there is going to be reconciliation with God and man that is personal, that will be made and done for every person if they will come to Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And so there is this, this personal reconciliation that will happen. But then there's this universal reconciliation that's implied when, when Jesus is healing. When storms, listen, when storms are coming and Jesus said, peace be still. You know what that was? It wasn't just a personal story to the disciples and a personal lesson. It was that. But it was also saying to this world, I've got the power over the storms. When I see a tornado, when I hear about hurricanes, when I see the earthquakes happen and they hear these natural disasters it's not god's plan that's creation apart from god that's it fallen it's working against mankind but there is a day and a time when reconciliation is going to happen when god restores that and so when i hear of these natural disasters it lets me know god's coming we live in a broken world when there's diseases that occur, we live in a broken world. But Jesus is going to fix the mass. It's universal. There's a sense where, you know, we say, well, if you're the only one alive, God would have sent his son to die for you. We say that to express God's love for you individually. But you need to understand, when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't for one person. He was fixing the whole world. All of which he made. It was a step in the process to reconcile, to redeem a people and the whole creation itself. And so the scripture says that the earth itself and the world is groaning. Nature is groaning for the redemption of Jesus Christ that he has begun through a baby. God being made flesh. Ray Stedman said it this way and I couldn't improve it. What does it mean then that Jesus shall reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven? It means a day is coming when the hostility of evil against righteousness will be brought to a sudden halt. Evil men and angels will find themselves unable to function in their enmity against God. They will be subdued and will cease their rebellion. It does not mean their punishment ends. It is their active hostility that will cease. Then at last, the terrible question that every one of us has asked at times, why does God permit evil, will be answered. There is a coming a day, according to this verse, when all will be explained to us. Why do the good suffer? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why does injustice reign triumphant at times? Why are innocent children raped, tortured, and killed, or ruined in mind and body by drugs or molestation? Why were six million Jews gassed to death in Germany? Why were millions of others elsewhere shot, speared, drowned, burned, or hanged by the tyrants of history? Why? We've all asked these questions. Why do accidents occur, ruining our joys? Why does insanity rage in so many? At last, this question is to be answered. At last, we will learn why it was necessary to allow evil. Then we will see it was part of the working out of God's program. Every hurt will be resolved. Every tear will be wiped away. Every pain will be relieved. At last, the whole universe will live in peace and harmony with one another. Nothing shall hurt or destroy in all of God's holy mountain. <laughs> you see why the angels could not stop themselves 
when Jesus comes as a baby, good news has been given to you. For until you is born this day, a Savior. And He is going to bring peace, peace to all mankind because you will be reconciled to God. Creation itself will be reconciled to God. Animals will be reconciled to God. This is the hope of every frustrated heart. It's given to us in Jesus. And so when you're grieving, when you're suffering over some injustice, God says, I give you Jesus. Because it is in Jesus that I'm going to reconcile that situation to myself. As it stands, there are some things that happen in life that we cannot reconcile with the God described in the Bible. So what's the solution? Jesus. It is our hope. It is our faith. It is our future to see Jesus bringing all things together in himself. That's what it means to live by faith as a believer in an unjust age. Now, let me talk about what that does for us. It makes the believer pessimistic. Second law of thermodynamics tells us that this universe is deteriorating. Energy is decreasing. This world's going down. The way it works, universe itself, nature, my body, I try to keep it up, but I'm fighting a losing battle, right? How many of you know that? If you don't, you'll have a wake-up call. We are fighting losing battles. That's true of nature itself. We can clean the water, clean nature, but in the end, it's going down. Politically... And our nation, it's not the nature for nations to rise up. If there's a rising up, there's a falling. I can be politically active. I can think and pray and and long for the glory days of a nation, but it's going, deteriorating. And the nation of America is not the kingdom of God. So there is a pessimistic aspect for a believer, but there is an optimistic aspect side of it for the believer as well i live in this world that is dying and decaying i live in a body that's dying and decaying but praise god i can do things that last for eternity and they're all going to be reconciled in christ this world is deteriorating so why should i pick up trash why should i clean the water why should i do things because these things ultimately belong to jesus christ and they're going to be redeemed in jesus christ and so this is my love for christ i'm going to take care of this Why should I keep on exercising when it's a body that's going to die? Because this body now belongs to Jesus Christ. And so this is a way to show my love to Jesus Christ. Why should I care about our society when the society is going down? Because society belongs to Jesus Christ. And I'm longing and living for Christ to be lifted up in this mass. There's an optimism that happens not because of the the eternal nature of this world... Far from it, but because of the eternal nature of Jesus Christ and what he's doing. So, let me uh, put some flesh on this a little bit. Uh, If you have uh, been in our country the last week, and you've been somewhat attuned to media, and you're a Christian, 
you have known and heard about Duck Dynasty. Ad nauseum. Okay. So, here is a believer in an interview, trying to witness to the interviewer, and, and he makes statements that are biblical, crude, and, and so now uh, media is saying, let's keep this guy on off of the show. And so, there shouldn't be any surprises there. It's not the media's job to lift up Christ. Don't expect them to. They never will. They do. It's a miracle of God. It's ours. The world's not going to get saved because TV lifts up Christ. The world gets saved by God working through his believers. All right? So, you've got that going on in all of the reaction of Christians across the board and but let me just bring in contrast to that Anita Jones. This is a um, coming out of CBS is how I found about this or actually uh, Anita Smith. Um, so a few weeks ago, I think December 5th, her husband was shot in Libya. They lived there uh, as believers uh, wanting to impact the people of Libya for Christ. Um, they were, in essence, missionaries there. Uh, he was a teacher. Uh, she had gone on uh, to come back, her and her family, uh, for the holidays, and it was agreed that he would stay there for a little while uh, and then join them. But he was shot while running. So she writes this open letter, December 12th. An open letter from the widow of Ronnie Smith to the Libyan people. My husband and best friend Ronnie Smith love the Libyan people. For more than a year, Ronnie served as a chemistry teacher in a school in Benghazi, and he would gladly have given more years to Libya if unknown gunmen had not cut his life short on December 5, 2013. Ronnie and I came to Libya because we saw the suffering of the Libyan people. We also saw your hope. And we wanted to partner with you to build a better future. Libya was very different from what we'd experienced before, but we were excited to learn about Libyan culture. Ronnie grew to love you and your way of life, as did I. Ronnie really was Libya's best friend. Friends and family from home were concerned about our safety, as were some of you. We talked about this more times than I can count. But we stayed because we believed the Libyan people were worth the risk. Even knowing what I know now, I have no doubt that we would both make the same decision all over again. Ronnie loved you all so much, especially his students. He loved to joke with you and tell stories about you and help you with your lives and challenge you to be all that you could be. He did his best to live out his faith humbly and respectfully within a community of people with a different faith. To his attackers, I love you and I forgive you. How could I not? For Jesus taught us to love our enemies not to kill them or seek revenge. Jesus sacrificed his life out of love for the very people who killed him, as well as for us today. His death and resurrection opened the door for us to walk on the straight path to God in peace and forgiveness. Because of what Jesus did, Ronnie is with Jesus in paradise now. Jesus did not come only to take us to paradise when we die, but also to bring peace and healing on this earth. Ronnie loved you because God loves you. 
Ronnie loved you because God loved him. Not because Ronnie was so great, but because God is so great. To the Libyan people, I always expected that God would give us a heart to love you, but I never expected you to love us so much. We came to bless you, but you've blessed us much more. Thank you. Thank you for your support and love for Ronnie and our son Hosea and me. Ronnie's death, my love for you, has increased in ways I never imagined. I feel closer to you now than ever before. I hear people speaking with hate, anger, and blame over Ronnie's death. But that's not what Ronnie would want. Ronnie would want his death to be an opportunity for us to show one another love and forgiveness. Because that's what God has shown us. I want all of you, all of the people of Libya, to know I'm praying for the peace and prosperity of Libya. May Ronnie's blood shed on Libyan soul encourage peace and reconciliation between the Libyan people and God. Does that sound like Christ? That, that sounds like Christ. That is the Spirit of Christ working in a young widow's life to share the love of Christ. I think about Romans 8, which talks to us about united in the love of Christ. Nothing will separate us. But somewhere in the Romans 8, it says, we are as lambs led to slaughter. God's working, and he will change and redeem and reconcile nations and peoples. Creation itself. And he has his day and he has his time when it's all going to be fulfilled. In the meanwhile, we have the Spirit of Christ living in us. It is our joy. It is our worship. It is our delight to be as a lamb. Being slaughtered for a world that is anti-Christ. And to do it one life after the other. Ronnie will not be the last Ronnie. We will not change America. We will not redeem America. We will not reconcile America with God. By constantly clamoring for freedom of speech. And freedom of even of religion. I can't see that in the Bible. It's in our Constitution. And I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for those who fought for it. But that does not change America. God has given to us His Word. And He is telling us that America and Canada and Mexico... And you go on across the globe, will be redeemed, will be reconciled by Jesus Christ. And for those of us who are in Christ, it is to say, we will champion not freedom of speech, not freedom of religion. Let's just champion Christ to be as Daniel when they say to Daniel, you know what, you keep on this praying thing? Go ahead and pray, but we're going to cast you in the lion's den. And Daniel then goes and says, let me keep on praying to God and I will be as a lamb led to slaughter. So be it. 
to be as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they say, fall down and worship this idol. And they say, we will not worship this idol. We will be as a lamb's led to slaughter. You may put us in a fiery furnace, but let it be known that we did not bow down. Phil Robertson and any others may say, you know what, we're going to follow Jesus Christ. We're going to speak up for him. And if you take away our, our TV, then great. It's okay. It is a way for me to show that Christ is greater than money. Christ is greater than a TV. We can be militant about freedom of speech or you can be militant about Christ. But somewhere along the way, they're going to clash. Are you prepared for that? It's okay. We can be optimist. Because Christ is reconciling people in America to himself. As well as all the other nations and nature itself. Colossians 1, 19 and 20. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. He's fixing the mass. We're going to lift high Christ because he's fixing the mass. What else do we lift high Christ? Because notice how he's doing it, verse 20. He's making peace by the blood of his cross. We lift high Christ for the mass because he died. For the mass. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That if anyone would believe in him. They will not perish but have everlasting life. And so when the angels declare that God's going to bring priests. This is good news. What they didn't say at that time. Was that it's going to be happening. Because this baby's going to die on the cross. And his blood's going to be shed on the cross. That's why Simeon. Giving his prophecy over Mary knew that one day her heart would be pierced as he would be pierced, this baby. He effectively died for the mass. There are many examples of people dying for others. Husbands dying for their wives. Moms dying for their children. Brothers dying for their siblings. Soldiers dying for their country. Somewhere, someone is dying for someone else today. It's going to happen. It happens every day. But I'm going to say that Christ effectively died for the Mass. What do I mean effectively died for the Mass? I may die for you, but you're still going to die. All I did was bide a little bit more time for you if I died for you. If you die for someone else, all you're going to do is just give them a little bit more time, but they're still going to die. When Jesus died, because he was God in flesh, when he died, his sacrifice was greater than the sin of all of us combined. And so he effectively took the punishment, which is separation from God, and took it from you. And though there is a temporary death, there is going to be a rising again to God. So when he died for you, he effectively died for you. You're going to live forever with God because of the death of Jesus Christ. (laughs) He's made peace by the blood of his cross. 
You need to understand what's implied with that. That apart from Jesus Christ, apart from Jesus being your Savior and Lord, you stand at odds with God. You're not at peace with God. If Jesus is not your Lord, your Savior. You may profess Him. You may give a lot of respect to Him. You may talk well of Him. You may sing to Him. You may study about Him. Memorize about Him. You may gather where people talk about Him and worship Him. But if He is not your Savior and Lord, you are at odds with God your Maker. And there will be a day and time where you will be reconciled to God because your knee will bow and your tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And the question that remains is, will that reconciliation happen because of mercy given to you through forgiveness? Or will reconciliation happen because you will see the greatness of God, who He is, and in judgment you fall before God? Either way, you will proclaim Him Lord. How will you do it? Through God judging you? Or through mercy? And letting that judgment that you deserve go to Jesus? What's your choice? Let's pray.